This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're asking the question, should PTSD be considered a disorder? Of course, you have, that's what the D stands for, obviously, so it's in the label, but we know this is a label, uh, a term supplied by the uh, APA, the American Psychiatric Association. We see it in their DSM, which is their big, thick guide to you know, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of various uh, disorders, um, so-called. Some of them legitimate, um, others not so much, as we discussed last week. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, we kind of had, uh, I, th- I thought some of the material is interesting. That's not saying that I'm an interesting teacher. That's just because the material itself was kind of interesting. We looked at, uh, um, well, we have it in our notes here. We looked at uh, all kind of stuff, but uh, we saw, I think we learned last week that we really can't trust um, these secular folks, secular psychology, secular psychiatry, uh, we saw that they classify, you know, there's such a disorder as alcohol use disorder. And we made the point, you know, so according to the APA and the DSM, if you got an alcohol problem, you're not a drunk. That's what, that's the biblical term. You're not a drunkard. Instead, you have a mental illness. Again, according to the secular folks, if you like to steal stuff from the store, you're not a thief. Uh, You've got a form of disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder, specifically perhaps kleptomania. And uh, we looked at other examples that should really cause us um, to think twice about anything we read, anything coming out of the secular community. So again, the question is, should PTSD be termed a disorder? And we made the point last time, whatever answer you come up with in the end, yes or no, isn't so much the issue. You know, whether you call it a disorder or whether you choose to call it a problem or a struggle uh, or a condition, you know, maybe that doesn't matter. But what does matter is the analysis. You know, all the stuff that we're looking at here uh, last time and then we'll finish up tonight. It's just good to be informed as far as the scope of everything that's being considered, all the baggage, um, and we're going to see more of it tonight. Uh, Picking up with number five. Again, this is, so I guess, our fifth reason why perhaps PTSD should not be termed a disorder. Reason number five, and uh, here we're talking about not just PTSD, but psychiatric diagnoses generally, Um, It is certainly worth noting that cultural, political, and economic factors, and that's your fill-in-the-blank there, economic factors often influence whether or not a given condition or problem is considered a disorder. We talked a little bit about this last time. Josh asked a good question about this. Um, Let's look at a couple examples here. I I thought this was real interesting. Um... Did you know that in the first two editions of the DSM, first edition was published in 1952, second one in 1968, homosexuality back then was considered, was classified as a mental disorder. But guess what? Beginning with the third edition in 1980, homosexuality was no longer considered a disorder. Why is that? Public opinion change. Yeah. You know, we can't call that a disorder. That's uh, normal and natural and right. You know, it's, that's, that's no problem. According to the, uh, just something you're born with, uh, according to our world, according to our uh, sinful world. And so uh, cur- certainly, uh, it, you know, barbaric uh, to consider it a disorder. And so uh, opinion changed. Again, based on political, cultural um, uh, issues, basically the sin of man. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, Consider another example. 
consider, and this, this would go to the maybe economic factors at play, this second example, consider the connection between the rate at which ADD or ADHD has been diagnosed in recent decades and the billions of dollars annually made by pharmaceutical companies that produce all these various drugs to treat these so-called disorders. Um, you know, you can find a lot of interesting stuff online. And uh, I found this one. It's a little, again, online article titled, ADHD Drugs Make Big Money, But We Still Don't Know the Risks. Millions of kids are getting ADHD medication to, quote, normalize them, even though the long-term effects of these drugs are unknown. And then it goes on, the article stop, starts off by saying, you know, raise your hand, hands up, if this describes your children. Okay? Inability to wait their turn in line. You know, so maybe they're a little impatient. Occasional temper tantrums. Fidgeting. Inability to finish chores. Um, being too loud. Being too quiet. Congratulations. The child in question, your child, may have, probably has, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And he can take medication to normalize him. And uh, the article goes on to say that ADHD drugs are a $13 billion industry in the United States. Uh, and ADHD is now the second most common childhood diagnosis. But even though the long-term effects of these amphetamines, these drugs, uh, on the childhood brain are unknown, the numbers will continue, most likely continue to rise. And then listen to this. I thought this was interesting. The American Psychiatric Association, the APA, this is who publishes the, the DSM, they receive almost 30% of their annual funding from pharmaceutical companies. Wow. Uh, and those pharmaceutical companies are not necessarily acting in your best interest, by the way. Last year, Shire Pharmaceuticals, which makes Adderall, uh, settled with the Department of Justice for more than $50 million based in part on allegations that it marketed its ADHD. Uh, looks like maybe there's a typo here. I'm sorry. Uh, basically, it was marketing its drug that, that supposedly treats ADHD based on unsupported claims that it would prevent ac uh, poor academic performance, and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, anyway, reason to be concerned. Uh, again, we made the point last time, isn't this normal? Isn't a lot of this stuff just normal behavior? Uh, I remember listening to an interesting little, you know, something I found online by uh, John MacArthur, in which he, he talked, it was just one of those little 10 minute things, in which he was talking about this very subject. And uh, just the, again, the millions of, of diagnoses of kids, and, uh, and, and so many of them these days, little kids in school that are on all these drugs. And uh, anyway, uh, it was kind of funny because he, he mentioned that uh, he was one of those kids that was, you know, getting you know, spanked every day in school by his teacher because he was the one, you know, that fit all those descriptions when he was younger, you know, climbing on the desk, you know, impatient, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I was, uh, I was diagnosed with ADD, and uh, if my mom ever listens to this recording, mom, I'm not, I'm not upset with you, but uh, she took me, I complain, you know, my mom's like one of those extra protective types, you know, and when there's the first, you know, so I must have complained. This is when I was in high school. I, uh, you know, complained that, uh, man, you know, I just, I, I had trouble concentrating when I, when I read my, you know, homework. And I was easily distracted. Anybody else easily distracted <laughs> when you try to read? <laughs> well, I was easily distracted. And so I said something, and she took me, and... Uh, and I, uh, I mean, this is a long time ago. I, you know, this is, I'm, I'm 45 now, so I don't know if I was 16 years old at the time or somewhere in there. But uh, I remember 
sitting in a room, and I, it was some specialist, so-called, and I had to do something with these, like, little blocks. You know, I was assigned to, you know, do something. I can't remember. Basically, play with toys, you know, in this room. And this uh, guy was just kind of watching me. And at the end, he diagnosed me with ADHD, and I was prescribed Ritalin. And uh, I'm thankful that I think I, I think I tried it for a couple days, and uh, I don't really think it helped me, so I stopped. And I'm, I'm thankful that I did because, uh, you know, I was reading actually even in, uh, I'm taking a class right now through Bob Jones University, and uh, it's really neat because Dr. Jim Berg is teaching the class, and I just, I love him. So uh, anyway, I was just listening to uh, a recording of a lecture just the other day from him, and he was talking about how all of these drugs, um, I mean, and there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of them for various, you know, whether it's ADD or depression or PTSD, they all have side effects. Uh, and we're not even sure what all those side effects are. And they're all addictive to some degree or another. And there's always withdrawal symptoms associated with most of them. Again, even in some cases minor. But uh, anyway, I'm thankful that uh, I didn't take Ritalin for very long. Um, and Mom, again, if you ever listen to this, I forgive you for taking me. It, it ended up providing a good, you know, I could use myself as an example here. Because, you know, interestingly, uh, I mean, I got really good grades in school. I got really good grades in college and in law school and in seminary. And uh, so I don't know. Do I have ADD? Or do I just, like you, sometimes have a hard time concentrating? What were you supposed to do with the blocks? I can't really remember. It's been so long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was watching to see if I, how, you know, if I got distracted or put him aside. I don't know. I have no idea. But. No, good, good point. Good point. And uh, lest anyone in here get upset or offended, and uh, I always want to try to be, you know, fair and balanced. I really do. Um, I think everyone kind of understands the, the main point, you know, that we need to be very careful and that we can't trust, uh, most of the time anyway, uh, secular psychology. Um, but just to be fair and balanced, I mentioned this book last week. Very good book. I read it a few years ago. I'd like to read it again. Uh, blame it on the brain, you know, question mark. Okay, that's what, that's what our society does. That's, you know, we talked about the disease model for diagnosing and treating mental disorders. That's the, the model that's adopted by most secular practitioners, most of the folks with the APA, you know, the DSM, it's all based on this uh, disease model, which assumes that all these psychiatric disorders, it's a bi they assume that the root cause is purely biological. You know, it's, it's faulty genes, um, it's some pre-existing um, chemical imbalance in your body. Sin, you know, clearly has nothing to do with it. They don't recognize sin or talk about that. They blame it on the brain. And so Ed Welch is saying, really, do we, do we blame everything on the brain? And he distinguishes between chemical imbalances, brain disorders, and disobedience. And I mentioned there's some helpful chapters here. Talks, uh, on the one hand, about some legitimate stuff like Alzheimer's disease and a head injury like a TBI, traumatic brain injury, when you actually get physically hit in the head and there's damage to your brain and some of the, uh, the ramifications there. On the opposite end of the spectrum, it talks about homosexuality and alcoholism. But in the middle, um, it lists depression, okay? Sometimes, you know, oftentimes, depression, it, it's a spiritual issue. Um, it's rooted in anxiety, anger, uh, discontentment, hopelessness. Uh, but there are occasions when, uh, especially with females, 
You know, you can have some, your progesterone and estrogen levels are a little off kilter and, and they, you, you feel low. Um, and that's, that's not a sin issue. So, um, although it can become a sin issue if you get bitter about all that and you, you fail to take that to the Lord. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, Ed Welch lists depression in that middle category. He also, he lists attention deficit disorder kind of in that, in that middle category. So anyway, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about all that, you might want to check uh, this book out. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's uh, continue. And so we talked about ADD. You know, we could, talk, we could say the same thing about all the various medications, the psychotropic drugs that are prescribed for PTSD. Same thing. Pharmaceutical companies are making millions and millions of dollars, and more and more Americans are getting diagnosed, including... I found this, you know, this is actually from uh, this Time Magazine article. Let me uh, just walk around with this. Um, the Military Secret Weapon. And uh, it's got a little Prozac pill, you know, partially camouflaged. This is actually from 2008, as I believe. This, uh, this Time Magazine, yep, uh, 2008. So it's, wow, 12 years old, and it just talks about the, uh, how following the, you know, Gulf War, second Gulf War, 2003, just an incredible increase in the number of our soldiers overseas who are being prescribed various antidepressants for battlefield stress. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and, uh, and just really calls into question that whole practice. So, uh, anyway. Madison, can I make a comment? Yes, sir. One of the things we have to keep in mind is that every one of our systems is different. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, but no one here has the same DNA. All right? And so, the only thing that works consistently on everyone is Scripture. But when you get into the chemical side, and this goes even to what Esther was, was alluding to, um, those chemicals can affect people differently. It shouldn't be lost on us that if you listen to some of these antidepressant commercials, one of the side effects may be depression. <laughs> and, and then the list goes on and on and on. Um, and so, again, we have to go to what is unchanging because all of that other can, can change. Now, you know, for some people, uh, one drug, it, it, you know, for depression may actually help something physiological. And, you know, and, and so they've discovered some of that, too. But it's, it's so important that we remember we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And... God never intended for us to be experimented on with these chemicals. And we've got good medicine where they can do a physical test, determine if something is wrong, but, but we, ha we have to be cautious. Uh, and with our kids, too. Pastor mm -hmm. um, Radice already alluded to that. I, I dealt with a situation one time where um, a normal young lady was all of a sudden start having this these violent outbursts of behavior. Just it was just her her personality changed. Well, the wise parents went to the doctor first to find out what was going on, and you know what was what had triggered it? It was Lyme's disease. They dealt with the Lyme's disease and her erratic, angry behavior went away. So you can have physical things that affect those other things, uh, but but just just be careful. We 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 with the scripture. Sometimes Christian parents today, and even believers, you know, um, we go to the Bible, but then we have our backup plan. And 
I think we need to be very careful about what we're putting into our systems, uh, taking God at his word. Hmm. Especially yes, when it comes to discipline. I, I had a tension desk visit, too, and my dad <laughs> fixed it. Okay? And, and, you know, kids develop differently. I was a late bloomer. You know, things just came harder for me. I, I had to work hard for a C-plus. My brother could sleep on a book and get good grades. Um, but that didn't, it doesn't mean that there was something wrong. At least I hope not. <laughs> yep. Mr. Rosen. Yes, sir. I ran across this in uh, Psychology Today, and it goes right along with, uh, with what you're saying in here. And it says, uh, we have narrowed the definition of normal healthy behavior so dramatically that our individual quirks and eccentricities have become problems that we fear and expect to fix with psychotropic drugs. Yeah. What has been labeled cosmetic psychopharmacology is the use of psychotropic drugs to make a person's uh, mental state, uh, to move a person's mental state from one of normal but disfavored state to an accepted normal favored state of being. Now, my, my question is, who determines what is the favored state of being? <laughs> yeah. And that goes right along with yeah. your uh, questioning of these yeah. Uh, yeah. psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, what is normal today is not normal tomorrow. Yeah, yep. It's, uh, so, the, the, like Pastor said, the scripture is the only thing that we can consistently fall back on. Yeah, yep. For help. Yep, very good. Um, no, thank you. Good, good comments. And uh, I want to go back to something that Pastor said. Um, he alluded to this, but remember too, with the uh, the drugs that are prescribed, sometimes they can bring some measure. Sometimes they can bring some measure of relief. Uh, they can kind of quell your symptoms. But really what this is doing, and again, you, you, we're not sure what, what side effects, you know, what other problems and dangers are associated with becoming addicted to these, these chemicals and what they're doing to your body. But uh, while they may provide some temporary relief to your depression, maybe they give you a little bit of a lift, what's the problem with that? If, you're, if, you're, um, if your symptoms, if your depression is just being kind of masked, are you ever going to deal with the, the heart issue that's the cause of your depression, the root issue? Uh, probably not, especially when you know, your psychiatrist is telling you that your problem isn't any kind of sin or anxiety or anger or guilt. You know, it's something you were born with. You just have a mental disease or a mental illness or a genetic shortfall. Um, but uh, obviously, we're, we're not probably not going to get to the root issue of what's causing the depression or the, you know, is it, is it anxiety? You know, is it fear? Is it, uh, is it anger? Is it guilt? You know, have you been living in sin? And maybe you have uh, guilt in your heart and all of these things can lead to depression. And this is, you know, God's, God designed us that way. That's his alarm system to notify us, you know, that something's wrong. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that maybe here in a little bit. Uh, and if not today, then next time. But uh, anyway, so that's another danger we've got to be uh, careful of. And, and Pastor alluded to that. Um, okay. One other, before we move on to number six, one other economic consideration here. This is maybe kind of related. I want to throw this in again. Um, there are many, many folks out there, including many, many veterans, that uh, exaggerate their symptoms in order to get a VA paycheck, paycheck when they leave the military. I mean, this is absolutely true. And uh, I've seen it firsthand. Um, I could tell you about a few individuals that I served with. Uh, I could tell you about one individual who was getting kicked out of the Marine Corps 
and uh, he was fine, no issues, hadn't even been in combat, and all of a sudden, I mean, he deployed, but he hadn't really seen combat uh, when he was in Iraq, but uh, as he's leaving, as he's going through his VA physical process, all of a sudden, he's a basket case, and uh, he's, uh, he's got all these anxiety problems, he tells us, and uh, anyway, there was a lot of drama involved, but... Uh, most of us concluded that we, we understood what he was doing. And uh, anyway, I don't, I don't want to park too long on this, but uh, it's, it's really something to consider. Um, and uh, I even know, not just with veterans, but um, even in the civilian world, Cindy knows there's a guy who's about my, my age, Cindy and I's age, who uh, attended her dad's church many years ago, and this individual was um, was held up. Um, he was like a cashier at a little local store, and, and he was robbed. The store was robbed. And, um, and he claimed that he had PTSD, and uh, he, he hasn't worked a day since. And he's on disability, and um, he collects a paycheck, and he sits at home, and he plays video games. And uh, again, he's, he's my age. And again, I'm, I'm making assumptions that he's just made up his story. I mean, the, the store was held up, and, uh, you know, that, that's a real thing, and that can affect people, um, and we're all different, and what affects what may bother him may not bother me, and vice versa. We've already talked all about that, but my point is certainly there are cases out there where people are taking advantage uh, of, of the system, and, again, that's not to minimize that there are people that truly struggle. Again, again, Brother Radice, you know, for millennia now on this planet, people have had to continue to be responsible even when their circumstances weren't yeah. good, yeah. weren't normal, okay? Uh, but Satan wants, Satan wants to turn our focus away from our responsibilities and to you know, shift blame. That's as old as the Garden of Eden and, and, and so on. And, and what is happening is, is taking responsibility for what we should do regardless of the hardships that we face. Yeah. And that, that's just not real life. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you have to ask the question when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you know, is anybody going to get a pass because, you know, they faced hardship in life? And we are going to get, we're responsible. And, and Christ is sufficient if we will just learn to depend on him. And so many times, if if all people had was, Pastor Radice knows this, in, in our biblical counseling training, do you realize that one out of every three people gets better on their own, regardless. They do. They do. You, you know, you get on with life. And that's not minimizing the heartache and the tragedy and all the things that we can face. But, you know, we are the most medicated society in the world. In other parts of the world where they don't have access to pharmacies like we do, they get better and they go on. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor, uh, one of the things that I saw in, in going through this and in, in, uh, my research is that they are now saying that uh, from 60 to 85 years old, something like 25.3% of Americans are on some kind of psychotropic drug to change their mood. Yeah. To me, that's I'm 70 years old, and I'm looking. I'm going, whoa, wait a Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that statistic. Wow. We all face, like Pastor said, you know, we all face various stressors. We've all encountered stress. We've all encountered things that are traumatic to us to one degree or another. But we can take our burdens to the Lord, 
and uh, His grace can sustain us. And we're going to see some examples of that here just in a second. So let's move on to number six. Um, again, a sixth reason why maybe it's not a good idea to term PTSD as a disorder. Reason number six, the best analysis indicates um, that severe PTSD is a consequence of a faithless evaluation or interpretation of one's circumstances. So the blank there is interpretation, and we've talked about this before. It's not our circumstances, really, if you think about it, it's not our circumstances that make the difference. It's how we think about our circumstances, how we interpret them, the meaning we ascribe to them that makes all the difference. And uh, you may, so I use the term faithless there, and maybe you'd think that sounds a bit harsh. Uh, what I'm getting at, though, is, is we act, and even Christians sometimes, we're, all of us, you know, there have been times when we act in unbelief, when we fail to keep God, um, fail to keep our focus on the Lord. And uh, when we respond improperly in that manner, failing to keep our focus on God and His Word, we're going to run into trouble. Um, consider... Psalm 119, verse 165, and I'm going to read it for us. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them or cause them to stumble. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, the sense of uh, the word offend there. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What about Isaiah 26.3? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And uh, there's a few other examples there. I won't read all of them right now. Uh, how about, let's look at the last one, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Uh, let me at least just read verse 2. Grace and peace... Be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here we see a promise. It's an implied promise in this greeting, but it's a promise nonetheless that God will multiply grace and peace in our lives as we grow in the knowledge of Him, as we know Him better through His Word. We understand His character, His attributes, His sovereignty, His love, his wisdom, and what he wants to do in and through our trials. And we're going to be talking about this in a couple weeks. Um, we can see his grace, his supernatural grace and peace multiplied in our lives as we, as we know our God and walk with him. Uh, also, we need to consider the positive examples in the scripture of men like Joseph, Job, David, Paul, and others, and how they persevered despite experiencing uh, incredible and various calamities. Okay, there's no evidence in Scripture that their lives were ruined by PTSD, for example. Although we see that David, if you look at the Psalms, you could say that he struggled with these kinds of symptoms. You know, maybe you know, if you want to call it PTSD, you can do that. Uh, I would think, you know, he struggled with, with fear. I mean, he, he was a man of war. Uh, he fought in numerous battles. He, he killed many men. He saw things. Uh, and uh, he was hunted, you know, for years. And we see that reading the Psalms. We see how he struggled at times. But uh, in the end, you know, his life was not wrecked or devastated. He kept his focus on the Lord. And uh, we all struggle. We all struggle. David struggled, but uh, we can persevere by God's grace. Uh, I love the example of Joseph. Here's a guy who, as a young boy, is sold off, you know, apart from his parents, is sold off into slavery by his brothers. Uh, he, he's sold as a slave down to Egypt. Uh, he's then lied about and thrown into prison uh, for years, even forgotten about in prison. And uh, through all this, uh, he keeps his focus on the Lord. He understands the sovereignty of God, and we see that, you know, when he has that re reunion with his brothers. And he's able to tell them, 
you know, and he, for, he forgives them. He, he's not bitter. Uh, he understands that while they meant evil against him, God meant it for good. He understood that. He understood God's sovereignty, that he served a loving God, a wise God. And so his focus was where it needed to be. And uh, so he was able to persevere and even thrive and flourish in spite of the, uh, the trauma that he experienced. And we could cite other examples. Um, you know, uh, letter B there, science or observation supports this conclusion as well. We know that people respond, we made this point a few, a few minutes ago in, the in our discussion, people respond differently after, experience the same, after experiencing the same trauma. You know, Pastor made the point, there, there's a lot of folks that, you know, and we, we all experience stress, trauma. There have been lots and lots of veterans that come home from fighting overseas, and they, they see things that they wouldn't have preferred they not have seen. But, uh, and, and everyone, again, everyone struggles to some degree, but uh, they're able to continue and live productive lives. I, I read a real interesting booklet by two Marine Corps officers, uh, both believers. And I have the booklet up in my office. Any of this stuff you can borrow if you want to, you know, if you, I'd be happy to loan it to you. But uh, this is a little booklet on PTSD. It's about 100 pages by these two Marine Corps officers that now they're believers. Like I said, they run a, Basically, a PTSD recovery, it's called the Mighty Oaks uh, Foundation. It's a week long. Uh, they, they bring the folks in, and uh, everybody, it's like a resident program for a week. And it's like intensive, you know, Bible study and lectures on all these kind of topics, uh, helping, uh, they help hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of veterans every year. But uh, the one guy in there uh, who was an infantry platoon commander, in Iraq, you know, going back 15, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, uh, he told the story of his unit, was, which was in that initial push to Baghdad in 2003, OIF-2, and uh, his battalion, he, he says in his book, you know, they all saw the same things. You know, they were all there together. They, they faced the same. They were engaged in the same battles. You know, they lost some of their buddies. They saw the same, they were all traumatized, and, you know, at least what they saw, they experienced the same thing. But uh, a year or two later, at a reunion um, with some of them, or and even just keeping track of the men in the battalion, he, he noticed that uh, most of the guys, most of the Marines in the battalion were just fine. You know, they were living... Again, most of these guys, we're assuming they're not believers, but nonetheless, they, they were okay. You know, by the world standards, at least, they were living productive lives. They were still functioning, you know. Uh, but then there was a certain segment, 20 or 30 percent of them, who were uh, crippled by PTSD and were into alcohol and drugs. And, uh, you know, they were on their fourth marriage and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and, claimed, and, and claimed to have PTSD and to a certain extent were thinking or believing that their circumstances, their troubles, their depression was the result of PTSD. Uh, and I don't know, when I, when I read stories like that, you know, what do you think? I mean, I, and, and, this, the, and the author was basically making the point, it, it, it probably wasn't PTSD, I mean, we all saw the same stuff. And again, we're all, we can all be affected differently, even if we witness or experience the same kind of trauma. But uh, another factor, of course, that he pointed out is a lot of these folks who were having the trouble, you know, going into the Marine Corps, going into the deployment. These were folks who were already drinking heavily into drugs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, um, did I see a hand? I think you understand uh, the point we're making there. Did I see a hand up? No. And, Go ahead. And again, part of the growing process as believers is God building our spiritual resistance. Uh, you know, the statement is made, God doesn't ever use a man or woman before he breaks them. We talked about mm. that Sunday night. Mm -hmm. 
you know, how did Jacob become usable to God? He wrestled. Mm. How did Joseph become useful to God? Mm. Egypt and all that he experienced. And, and so, you know, God's got to be able to do that work. And if we're constantly trying to diminish that work with being overly protective as a parent, drugs, you know, psychotropic drugs. And, and so, you know, I appreciate what Pastor Ashley's pointing out. Think about David, how his youth was gone. I mean, he, he was public enemy number one. No, no youth. And yet, God had prepared him early on as, as a young shepherd boy, being responsible, having to work hard, facing danger. God allowed the danger, Goliath, and then all that. And you read the Psalms, and it, you know, so how did David, it was his relationship with the Lord. We shouldn't think that God has a lesser path for us. Well, we live in America and we have, you know, hmm. rights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. I'm going to let you guys read those last two quotes under point C because I want to make sure we, we uh, wrap this up here. Uh, basically, those two quotes is kind of making the same point that... Uh, there's a lot of evidence, and it's not just coming from biblical counselors of our stripe. There are some, even in the secular, uh, secular sciences and psychology, who are beginning to question the whole disease model. And you see one quote there from the gal under number one there that, again, it's, it's, it's our response to our circumstances that matters. It's how we think about our circumstances, how we interpret our circumstances that matters. So let me let me wrap this up. Um, should PTSD be considered a disorder? I, I I would say my personal view is no. And again, it doesn't matter if you say no or yes. What what matters is that you understand you know everything we've talked about. Um, I'm not denying that there's a real problem. Hey, I've struggled. I think we all have to some degree or another. But I've struggled with some of these things myself, and I may share a little bit more about that in a later lesson. So I'm not denying the reality of these problems, but uh, I certainly am uncomfortable with the language. I just don't want to, I want to stay as far away from the secular folks and uh, their labels and all the baggage that goes with it, the political baggage, the cultural, the, you know, the whole thing. It's just, uh, it's just trouble. And uh, so I, I like staying away from, from their labels. Plus, again, if we think about it, uh, PTSD, what is it? Again, it, it's, in one sense, it's not an objective reality. It's, it's not a tumor. Um, and so, but, but, it, but it is real, in a sense, you know, I, and I could even argue with myself, and depending on what day you ask me, and, 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 uh, and uh, depending on who asks me, or the situation, you know, you, you might ask me, you know, have, have Brother Radice, have you ever struggled, have you ever had PTSD? And uh, depending on how you ask me, or where I think you're going with the question, I might say, no, absolutely not. But I might also say, absolutely, yes. I've experienced uh, those symptoms. I've, I've struggled with intrusive thoughts. I mean, not just intrusive, but like, I mean, I couldn't get rid of them for a year and a half. And I became severely depressed. And uh, I've struggled with panic attacks. So, yes, you know, I, I've struggled with that stuff. Um, is my problem PTSD? No, I don't think so. I think my problem is that I'm a flawed human being. I'm, I'm sinful, and you know I've I've struggled with uh, anxiety at times, with anger, um, just like everybody else has. And uh, and I could go into lots of detail and talk for hours about some of my experiences, but I won't bore you with all that. But uh, and we don't have time anyway. But uh, so it's kind of a tough question. And I uh, again, I could almost you know I could talk out of both sides of my mouth. 
uh, and say it is a problem and yet it isn't a problem. Um, well, anyway, I don't have any agenda or dog in the fight here in terms of, uh, you know, what answer you want to come up with or whether you want to call it a, a um, you know, a disorder, a condition. I like what Josh said last week, maybe we should call it a struggle. In fact, I'm thinking, I'm putting together, I'm, I, I don't like the notes that I've given you guys these last couple, I'm, I'm redoing all the notes, and, uh, and I think I'm going to organize the whole thing around 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know, that there's no temptation that's overtaken you except as is common to man, and it goes on, the verse goes on to say that, uh, you know, God is faithful, he'll provide a way of escape that we can bear up under the temptation, and so... When I redo all the notes, I may refer to this, I may build the whole, the, the notes around 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I may refer to it as a temptation. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, a potential struggle, you know, that we all attest, a trial that we all face. But, um, I, I like that because the word temptation in scripture can also be tried. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, how, what grows our faith? The trying of it, yeah, and and so God does allow us to face traumatic things to teach us how to depend on Him. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and that's what He did for me. And so I will tell you a little bit more about that maybe in in a few weeks. I mean, not not into tremendous detail, but uh, but anyway, we've got two minutes. Let me just say. A couple more things here just to wrap up this lesson. Again, I wanted to be fair and balanced. And uh, I don't want anybody to walk out of here. You know, I appreciated, I don't know, I should have asked permission. I, I was about to use the person's name. And I, I sh you know, I should have asked permission, so I won't. But somebody shared with me that uh, they had had experience in a different church in the past and this particular church, you know, the, maybe the leadership there, I don't know all the details, but, you know, essentially denies, you know, just denies problems like this. You know, it's just make-believe. You need to get over that. There's no such thing. Uh, there's no such thing as PTSD. It's all in your head. You're just, you know, you're either just a weak Christian. You need to memorize more Bible verses. And uh, th that's not the approach you know, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here at all. I think you see that, even though, like I said, we've we got to be very leery of the secular world and their labels, but uh, we do struggle, and we can struggle with these things, with these intrusive thoughts, fears, anxieties, because we're fallen people. And so I just want everybody to understand that, and I, I think you do. And you know what else? Again, we're out of time, but there is... There is real physiology involved here. I mean, this is, uh, this is a spiritual, I mean, a severe case of PTSD where you are, your life is wrecked and you are, you know, struggling with anxiety and fear. And I mean, that, you've got a spiritual problem. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't real physiology involved. And... Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next time. And we already have a little bit last time. We alluded to, and in a couple lessons ago, the uh, fight-or-flight mechanism of our auto... I always, have, I always struggle with the term. What's the sympathetic nervous system, which is part of the... Well, there's the parasympathetic, but the uh, sympathetic nervous system, which is part of the anatomic nervous system... I struggle with that word, but you have this flight or fight mechanism, and all that stuff is real. And um, anyway, we're gonna we'll talk a little bit about that maybe next time. Um, and we're we're out of time. Was there was your quick thought, Kim? Yeah, I was just gonna say that um, I, I actually had an experience, and, it, and it's not that it's a PTSD, but as a kid, I got bit by a dog. I had a teen girl who actually stuck, told her dog to attack me, and oh, wow. it did. And uh, we had to wait and find uh, this dog before, back in the day, they get all these shots and stuff. And I was terrified of shots. I was just panicked. Well, I went to go pick my dog up today at the groomer. And typically I go in there, there's nobody in there. Well, this guy was in there getting his dog, and it was a big dog. And this dog just kept barking and coming to me. And I started getting kind of nervous. And, and he's just going, ah, and the guy's laughing. And I, and I almost wanted to say, 
can you just like get your dog? Because uh, although I'm not afraid of dogs, I mean, I have dogs, I've had several dogs, but whenever that kind of a situation happens, I always find myself kind of getting nervous, like, uh-oh, what's yeah. your dog going to do, you know? And that's something that happened to me when I was a small child, you know? So yeah. It's just so interesting how, you know, yeah. you're not afraid of something, but yet one little particular thing will bring that back to you, and you're, you're trying to deal with it, and you're like, why am I getting so nervous? So then I was like, oh, yeah, I got bit by a dog. <laughs> yeah. Triggers. That's why I'm reacting this way. Yeah. Yeah. Triggers. Exactly. And, uh, again, we're out of time. But we'll talk about, we're going to talk about that next week. And I was even listening just a couple days ago to a lecture by, again, Dr. Jim Berg. And he was addressing all of that and the fight or flight mechanism and, and some very interesting stuff that I gleaned from his lecture that I'll, I'll, I'll share with you guys next week. But anyway, we better... We better stop. Thank you for that. That was a good, that'll be a good transition into next week. All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful um, for the evening you've given us, Lord. We're thankful uh, that even though we face various trials and tribulations in this sin-cursed world, Lord, and we are certainly weak and fallen people uh, subject to these uh, temptations, Lord. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful that uh, we do not have to be overwhelmed by them, that we can take our burdens to you and look to you and even thrive in the midst of our difficulties as we keep our hearts focused on you and your word. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.